This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83 Bar Incorporated. It is presented as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsor nor the guests are rendering any medical advice. Any opinions or claims presented by the guests are their own. Welcome to The Patient Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. Featuring interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends and colleagues, to our podcast, The Patients Speak, where we're combining business and science innovation of healthcare with the patient's voice and what we need to hear from patients and their real-life experiences on how to accelerate and improve the patient journey. And today we have a guest that can bring multiple perspectives to that journey, and we have Dr. Maria DeLeon. Dr. DeLeon, how are you? you? Doing fine. Thank you so much here for having me, Mark. Absolutely. Maria is both a physician, an MD, and a patient who's navigating life with Parkinson's disease. And so we're going to talk with Maria about her own journey and about the things that she's learned and how she's advocating for patients now. And Maria, if we just start with, I read an interesting article and blog you wrote on the occasion of World Movement Disorder Day, and it had a real call to action about what we need to hear from patients. So just picking up on that thought, what is it that we need to hear when we listen to the patient speak? Yes, World Day for Movement Disorders, which is the first, and so I'm really excited. But even though we've come a long way, we still need to have improvements. One of the things I talked about was listening to the patient and being able to have medications available. Because as I mentioned in my blog, only 37 of 110 countries have levodopa, which is the standard care for Parkinson's disease. And that's 60 years after this medication has been on the market. So that to me is completely unacceptable. That's something that we definitely need to work on and try to get. And this medicine, at least here in the States, is about 10 cents a pill. So really, there's no reason why we can't have it. I was referring to when President Bush first Bush was in office and AIDS was the pandemic, and they got an act to able to provide AIDS medication to other parts of the world, particularly Africa. And AIDS medications is very expensive. And they've managed to do that. So I'm not sure why we can't do this with a growing population of over 10 million people in the world with Parkinson's and is growing, they think is going to double by year 2040. So if we can't even have the basic, then, you know, we're in trouble. You also mentioned some very logistical and practical things that the physicians and other parts of the medical treatment team need to hear about how patients literally deal with the comings and goings to appointments, accessing their medicine, calling about coverages. These are all things that you want more attention spotlighted on. You know, We've had, first of all, the, this really brought everything to, to a head during the pandemic as nobody was going out. Physicians were not seeing patients and neurologists are already a small portion of all specialists in the country. Less than 5% are neurologists. So imagine smaller are movement disorder specialists. So there are many places where neurologists are usually, especially in the academic centers, are the ones treating this specialties like Parkinson's. So most patients 
students have to travel. And for me, even I have to go to Houston, it takes me three hours to go to Houston to an appointment. And imagine one, if you get diagnosed with when you're young, you're still working, trying to maintain a family and trying to get off. And as the disease progresses, as I have found, it's diff- more difficult every time to travel because you're not feeling well, you're not able to drive, you can't find somebody to take you. So that becomes a huge limitation in your care. A bit during the pandemic, we were able to get telehealth, but as soon as the pandemic was over, most specialties got rid of telehealth. So that leaves us back to where we were, not being able to contact our physicians. And then you travel a whole day, and then some places they see you for 10, 15 minutes when you have a whole list of things that you want to address. So that's not very practical. And in between, you may need adjustments or they may have questions. And so it would be nice to be able to have another way to access physicians, especially one, because there's not so many, especially globally, not many neurologists around the world that treat this. So if we have a way to do telehealth, but also across state lines or across countries, because we may not have a physician within our area that is available and we may need to contact so many patients, friends that I know, travel to other states to see their physicians. We'll continue Mark's interview with today's guest in just a moment. Our sponsor, 83Bar, offers proven patient recruitment solutions for medical product launches and clinical trials. The team at 83Bar can help you achieve better patient outcomes, find client success stories and market reports, along with resources like videos and publications, all on their website, 83bar.com. Yes, and you're wearing two hats in this conversation. It's Dr. DeLeon for sure, and it's Maria. How do you navigate your own journey, knowing (laughs) what you know as a physician, and then advocating for yourself as a patient? Yeah, that is a fine line. And sometimes I I switch back and forth. And when I talk to my physicians, of course, I'm always Dr. DeLeon trying to remember, especially since this is my specialty of what's new, what's available since I keep up with it. I'm a very big advocate. But at the same time, it really comes down to the person. What is the nitty gritty? What really bothers me as a patient, as a person, as a mom? Because I've discovered that sometimes the things that we as physicians care about or ask about are not really the things that are crucial or essential in the family dynamics or in the day-to-day activities. Nobody really asks, are you able to do your laundry anymore? Are you able to clean your house? They ask, have you fallen? No, I'm not falling. Are you having trouble swallowing? No, I don't have trouble. But when was the last time I felt like or was able to clean my house? That kind of thing. They're important things that sometimes we overlook and we don't think about as physicians. Of course, we don't want patients in the hospital and we're trying to prevent that. But the day-to-day activities of what makes a quality of life, that's important, especially when you're a part of a societal role. You have husbands, spouses, children. And, and for me now, being in that generation of sandwich generation where I have a daughter and I have a mom to take care of with Alzheimer's. And so it's really important. Someone asked me, have you thought about having surgery for Parkinson's. And although as a doctor, I completely advocate for having surgery, but as a person living with Parkinson's, I cannot take the chance of one being away to have surgery 
and two, of any, even the smallest slighted consequence to the surgery because I have all these people depending on me. So even though I think the surgery, it is a great thing and I advocate for it. For me at this point, I would not consider it because I have a lot to lose if something went wrong and my family depend on me. So there's one of the things that being a patient and being a doctor are completely at odds. That's right. And you certainly, and you even use this term activities of daily living, which Again, those of us close to the healthcare, we just say the activities of daily living. And yet you're describing the difference between the formal medical clinical questionnaire and the true activities of daily life. (laughs) And have you been with that every now and then? I know I need to fill out this form. But I also need to just tell my... Exactly. And sometimes, especially going to an academic center, there's always students and medical students and fellows. And so you want to, of course, as a physician, I want to teach and I want to make sure that they're learning what they have to. But then sometimes, especially since they're new, they'll say like, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And it's okay. Let me tell you what my life is. How many pills I had to take just to get here. How much trouble I had to get somebody to drive me. I had to do all these things. And so it's not as easy as saying, why don't you do this? Yes, <laughs> so yes. sometimes, and so that's the part that sometimes is difficult to understand the struggles and particularly when dealing with doing trials and participating in research, I've often said you have to take into account, again, the people that you're connecting or contracting or asking to be part of this, you can't ask somebody that has had Parkinson's for 10, 15 years to stop their medicines even for a day because it is a god-awful feeling. And so or they can't move, they can't function. So how do you expect them to do all these things when, you know, in the protocol? Yes, we're trying to get a scientist, trying to get the baseline and see if we're going to make a huge improvement that is important and significant. But at the same time, we have to take into consideration what patients are going through. Yes, and, so and you're right. That is in so many protocols, isn't it? That you stop your current medication. It's what? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. For well, me, I get in so much pain even for missing a dose in a day. So imagine being off for days or an entire day. I'm First of all, when you're in pain, I don't know if you've ever been around anybody that's in pain, you become a different person. You get very irritable. And my husband will tell you that I'm not <laughs> finding pleasant to be around one if I'm in pain. I'm trying to, to be cordial to a lot of people poking at you and prodding at you and asking you questions when you're in pain. It's not, <laughs> you're not going to get the best results. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Very real life scenario. And speaking of clinical trials, the presenter of this podcast is 83 Bar. They're a company that does patient recruitment for clinical trials and helps navigate people to the trials they might be interested and qualified for. In your community of both physician treaters and patient advocates and patients themselves, what is the sense of their desire or their willingness to participate in trials. We often hear that a lot of people don't even know what a clinical trial is or know that there might be a treatment option for them in that kind of research. What's been your experience? Yeah, that's correct. I think, first of all, there's a huge disparity between the cultures and also financial economical. Of course, the people that are more educated, more affluent, they're much more knowledgeable as to what a research is, or at least have some vague idea of what you're participating in a trial. So they are more likely to proactively research, even if their physicians don't mention But a lot of people, especially in a small 
small community where I live, they don't have that kind of sense. Most physicians here don't really talk about being involved in a trial or asking patients if they like to be involved. And so, you know, patients are not really savvy. So that's one of the things that I've been trying to be involved in educating that there are many ways to participate in trials. You don't have to do it personally. There's some you can do online, you can do from your own home, you can do telemedicine. And there are very many different stages of trials. Some, of course, everybody thinks of trials of being, quote unquote, the guinea pig, trying new medicine. But I said there are trials where they can look at sleep, they can look at vision, they can look at medications or look at food. So there's different things that you can do, exercise and or even post-marketing to see if, you know, how you're doing with the medication, if it's really, truly engaging. So that's been my goal, trying to educate patients of all levels and all genders and races to look at and think about it differently, that it's not just one type of trial, one type of, and there may be something that they could participate in. And to really ask questions before they sign, what is it that they're expected to do, how they're expected to do it, but also know that they have the freedom at any time to sort to back out of it if it's something that is not working out. And also to always ask if it's going to interfere with any treatments they're currently on. Because the biggest thing that I found as a physician practicing in a small town, oftentimes I would get patients in the emergency room with some complication and they would tell me, I'm on some study. And that's all I would know. What study? What are you on? And trying to locate the physician or the team that is involved is very difficult. So then you have a blank there. What am I dealing with? Is something that I have to worry about or something that is not really important to this case? So I always ask you to make sure that you have a contact, you have a way to 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 reach somebody and we know exactly what you're on. Is it something you know that the physicians somewhere else are going to be able to handle and treat? if something something should occur. And you've also applied a lot of your knowledge and experiences to writing and telling yes. these stories. You have a great book, Parkinson's Diva, which is a terrific title. <laughs> Website, Defeat Parkinson's. You often write for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. How has writing about your experiences? First of all, how has it been for you to communicate and tell your story? And then why is this so valuable for patients and their caregivers and their families to read and understand more about uh, both the disease and the experiences living with it. Yeah, it's funny because I always love writing and reading. And of course, when you become a physician, that kind of falls by the wayside and your handwriting gets really not complete <laughs> sentences. Of course, now with Such my a cliche. I can't even read my own handwriting. <laughs> exactly. So one of the things that I... I felt and saw that when I started to develop this disease, I had this search of creativity. And one of the things was just wanted to write again and started with poems and things. But really, I thought that telling your story is very empowering. And so I encourage people to write their thoughts, their, their journey to empower them to have control. Because sometimes when you get a disease diagnosis, rather, you feel out of control, you feel sometimes people say that you've been given a death sentence. But I say that if if you are able to embrace it and take control of it, then you have control of how it goes. You can't do anything about having the disease, but you can say something about how 
you manage it and how you live with it. And so that's one of the things that I write about. And also to, to raise awareness and to, particularly since I work with women's issues, to, to let women know that they are their inner beauty to sparkle from within and to read the stories that they everybody has a story, no matter how insignificant they think it is. Somebody has something to say that somebody else can learn from. And so that's very hard to know that I did this and I was able to get through this. And so I'm able to continue this journey. And so I think that's something that has really helped and also has opened the path, not myself alone, just other people telling their stories to pharma and to companies to realize and to gauge that the patients really have a seat at the table that really in order to get the best treatments, the best medications, the best devices, we need to take into account the patient's journey, what it really is like to live with a disease and what the struggles are and what are the salient issues. As I said earlier, physicians may think that this is important, but patient may not think that's important. The same thing with pharmaceuticals. They may think, oh, we're doing a great thing here for for this thing, but it may not be so crucial as something else. And so I think that those stories sharing and being able to connect with a bigger audience is something that's really important. Like I never expected my book to, to become a bestseller. I knew that there was a deficiency in literature for women with Parkinson's, especially for young women. And so I felt the need to write something and encourage people to think outside the box. And little did I know it was going to start a worldwide movement of women and Parkinson's. And so I'm very honored and proud and humble that has happened. And it's not only happening in Parkinson's, but it's happening across other neurological diseases and other medical diseases where we really need to start thinking about gender issues when diagnosing and treating because our needs are different. And so that's how I see this writing to try to bring information, raise awareness and empower people just to to take a hold of their own disease and make it theirs and flourish where they are. Each other's become mentors and advocates themselves. Yes, it must be very satisfying to help be a voice for women with movement disorders. And it, it caused me to think as you were talking about consulting and advising pharma and biotech companies, many of these will be listening to this podcast. So if you had a chance to to just be one-on-one and be real, not the conference room conversation about the yes. business, the market, the, the market <laughs> research, but it's, listen, people, you really need to hear this story. What do you think the industry people need to hear the most? Yes, I think that they need to hear one, think about the patient, the person that you're doing this for, what their life is. Are they able to use this medication? How are they going to use it? What part in their life is it going to take? What role? And then the most important thing that I talk to everyone all the time is the accessibility, affordability of medications. Because as I said earlier, when we don't even have the basic, and here, as I said, I'm struggling getting medications. When somebody, when you have a great product and you made it for people to be able to have a better life and to be able to continue being part of society, But if it's not accessible or people don't know how to navigate because you have to go through five, six, seven hurdles to acquire the medication, and it's not just one time, but over and over, most people are not going to have the knowledge, the savvy to do that. They're not going to be as obstinate as I am sometimes to try to do those things. But, and also 
think about the burden you're putting on physicians. Physicians are who are swamped, already a few in number. They have a huge population. Numbers are rising. And if they have to do this for every single patient, guess what? They're not going to be prescribing these medications because it takes a lot of time and effort from actually seeing a patient and treating a patient and just doing the paperwork. So that's one of the things that I really want to say that you guys are doing great and having the patients be part of the conversation. But again, think about the big picture. Why are we doing this medicine? Why are we providing it? to have people use it. And if nobody's using it, then it really defeats the purpose. <laughs> yes, very good. My guest is Dr. Maria De Leon, a practicing physician in the area of movement disorders and a patient living with Parkinson's disease herself. So, Doctor, we've been talking about several of the sort of past and historical and developments and advances, but now let's look to the future. And not just the science advancements, which we know are coming, and thanks to a lot of the clinical research we've been talking about, but closing this gap of disparities that you described, both gender and perhaps abilities and race and other things. What is it going to take, in your view, to make some of these medicines more accessible, but also to make the research a better option for more people? Thank you. Yes, I think the future is bright. Just in the 30 years that I've been doing this, there's been a huge advance in the science and the treatment. So I think that I'm very hopeful that we will find a cure, at least for some of the subtypes of the Parkinson's disease, because it's not just one disease, I don't believe. And I don't think many neurologists believe that. But I think that one, the disparity, we're really working on trying to get to reach patients where they are in their communities, in their homes, by using apps, by using telemedicine, by using other ways, by having outline clinics. When I was practicing here earlier on, some of the, I would hire some of the coordinators from Houston to come down to my clinic and gather a number of patients and say, okay, who wants to participate? And we'll do it all in one day, one visit kind of thing. So having that connection between the rural communities and the academic centers is important to bring that that disparity to go to where the patients are and also like, getting the information in various languages, at least in Spanish, since it's the most common, largest minority. And we've been working on that and getting also literacy of what basic information, what does it mean to be in a trial? What does it mean to be phase one so that patients can understand? So we can, I've been working with FDA with that, and I've been working with NIH and also with Harvard Institute to try to bring those issues to light and to improve communication. As far as accessibility, a bigger issue, I think, as healthcare in this country is very complicated. And so I don't think it's an easy solution, but we definitely have to start thinking about, you know, the number of people on Medicare is increasing and the age is growing. And not to say the disability of Parkinson's is becoming that's the second largest, fastest growing neurological disease uh, next to Alzheimer's. And so if we just think of those two diseases, the number, the sheer number, it is is overwhelming. So if we want to take care of these people, and it costs about $51 billion a year to take care of a Parkinson's patient. So imagine if we put some of that money back into the government to 
to give the medications, to give the care that they need so that we don't have to then pay for emergency rooms, for nursing homes, for because they fail and things like that. If we're able to provide the medications they need and not substitute it, when the doctor says, let's do this medicine, let's do that medicine and not try to change things. I think that we would go a long way. And although they're expensive, I think the price could be lower some, but if we can put some of that money back, like I said, if we could get people back into vocational service and back into being active in society, I think that money will be better spent that way. Yeah, very. Thanks for these call to actions. You're really giving us the sense of hope and empowerment for the patient, but also decreasing some of the sort of logistical and economic burdens. It's all very good. So thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy it. And I look forward to talking with you again. And, Absolutely. and I'm glad to have met you virtually. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. And listeners, be sure to check out Dr. Maria DeLeon's work. It's DefeatParkinson's.com. And her book is Parkinson's Diva. And of course, come back again for our next episode. We'll continue these conversations with healthcare executives, patient advocates, and providers, and people who often wear two hats, like Dr. (laughs) Maria today. We're going to continue this conversation because we want to know what it is that we can do to learn to improve and accelerate the patient's journey. And it all begins when we listen to the patients speak. I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Patient Speak, Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey with Mark Stinson, presented by 83Bar, supporting well-informed, confident, and decision-ready healthcare consumers for better patient outcomes. Learn more about their patient activation platform at 83Bar.com. You can listen to our show on any of your favorite podcast apps. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patient Speak. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83Bar. Look for The Patients Speak on your favorite podcast app.